Well, I have heard that uh, song many times on the radio, David Crowder Band. Um, and I knew some of the words, but they really ministered to me, especially as I thought about all the loss that we have endured in our congregation of late. And uh, I, so many of you have lost parents. Um, and spouses and sons-in-law and just different ones that it's so much pain and yet in the middle of all of that affliction if you belong to Jesus his his love will often overwhelm and and and, and flood our souls and encourage us that this is not the end And God's love is perfect. Our love, far from perfect. And yet, we are called to love at a very high level. And when the love of God overwhelms us, then it is far easier for us to Love others. God says, unless you forgive others, Jim McLaughlin was reminding us recently of this verse, unless you forgive others, my Father will not forgive you. That's kind of scary. But when we are forgiven and we, and we embrace God's forgiveness, it frees us to forgive others. In the same way, when we fully embrace the love of God or we are lost in His embrace, then we're free to love, embrace and love others. Uh, my father was talking about that the other day. He's got dementia, you know, and, and uh, every once in a while he just says something that is, sometimes he says things that are, you know, that are, that are funny. Uh, Beverly and I were talking about that the other day. You know, when your parents are like that, it's laugh or cry, and sometimes it's good just to laugh. And, you know, you, you just sense the presence of the Lord when you laugh with your loved ones who are not thinking right, you know, at the, a particular time. And, but, but sometimes he comes out with things, and he said, that was always hard for me. He, I, he had, I said, I love you, and he said, I love you back. And he said, that was always hard for me. Shouldn't have been. And you know what? He was right. I don't ever recall either my father or mother telling me that they loved me. I don't ever recall it, you know, when I was growing up. I had not the slightest question in my mind that they did. It was just kind of one of those generational things, you know. Just didn't say it back then. And I didn't feel deprived by it. Um, I don't feel like I've been affected too much. Ted, I'm sorry I don't tell you I love you as much as I should, you know, but I, I'm sure that, that that's, <laughs> you never heard it either. Well, <laughs> no, wait a minute. Your parents are here. You're not supposed to say that. No, but, but, you know, I was just thinking back on the, really the love that was in our home. I am a sports fan for one reason. My father was a sports fan and he 
passed it down to me, passed the love of sports down to me. Actually, my uncles have to take credit for that. I mean, I have to give my uncles credit for that, too, if you would call this credit. My one uncle, Jerry, was an NC State fan. I'm a Carolina fan. My dad and his two brothers were, were, were two of his brothers, Carolina fans, and two of the other brothers were state fans. The Carolina fans said that those two boys were shade tree babies, you know, where the you had a church picnic and they left in, they were left in the shade and the mom picked up the wrong baby and took it home, shade of a tree. So, um, that, you know, that's why they didn't, they didn't. But I, I can tell you, it was Thanksgiving, Christmas was always about sports and it was always entertaining, 100% of the time. I don't doubt that at a funeral, it would be that way with those guys. I mean, it's just in, in one of their own funerals. It's just constant sports and kidding. My Uncle Jerry used to take his class ring, turn it around to where the, you know, the fat part was at the bottom, and, and, and when something would happen on, on television, he'd go, Whoa! and hit me on the head just like that. <laughs> and I was, you know, just a little thing. I mean, they were crazy. They were absolute crazy. Now, my father was a prairly, uh, fairly bright guy, and he employed very appropriate grammar until he was watching sports, at which time, you know, judgment, intelligence, and, and grammar all go out the window, as they should when you're watching a ball game. You know, but he had an expression that he would use when there was a coach or a referee he didn't like. Now, he didn't use this so, so much for players. I never heard him use it for players, but, but, but when I would say, how do you like coach so-and-so, he'd say, oh, he ain't nothing. He ain't nothing. Well, today we're going to talk about love, and I, and I recognize that this seems like a strange transition, you know, when I'm talking about sports at this level, and then all of a sudden I say, we're going to talk about love. But, but when you realize the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to talk about it today and next week, is talking about all of these things that may or may not exist in our lives, or even if they do, without love... He essentially says in verse 2, 1 Corinthians 13, we ain't nothing. We've got nothing. Regardless of all the show, without love, we're not anything. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 has to be one of the most oft-quoted passages of Scripture, especially at weddings, and believe me, I know weddings. Six or seven a year that I officiate Every once in a while, I am one of the participants in the wedding, as I was this summer. And why wouldn't it be read at weddings? I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 is the perfect subject for weddings, and its exalted prose is stunningly beautiful when it is read well publicly. It's beautiful. But love is not only the appropriate subject for weddings, it's the appropriate subject for, why, for life. It is the highest Christian ethic for anyone who follows Jesus. For those who don't follow Jesus, they are often overwhelmed with the love that is at the heart of the gospel. Sometimes that love is like John, what was his name, Amazing Grace? John who? Newton. John Newton, of course, the slave trader. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Sometimes that love begins as a bit of a, 
of a fear, but when we recognize the love of God that we sang about or we heard the worship team sing about a while ago, our, our hearts are, are overwhelmed. And, and love is at the heart of the gospel, which is where we find salvation. For those of you who have been here, and most of you have, you know that we've just completed a study about the gospel as we've gone through the book of Romans. And we're not done yet with thoughts about the gospel. We'll talk about a little bit about it this morning, and then week after next we'll talk more about it from 1 Corinthians 1 where he talks about how the, the cross is at the heart of the gospel, and then the week after we may have a time of sharing, very likely have a time of reflection. We'll try to give some thoughts for you to consider before we get here to that day, but where you get to be the one preaching the sermon about the gospel. Now, the next service, I'll have to uh, inform, hopefully, uh, several freshmen who will be here for the first time this morning. It's our custom to stand when we read the Word, and you know that. 1 Corinthians 13, we'll read all 13 verses of this beautiful chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it shall pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, it... uh, it, it, it seems like you mean that. That the greatest of these in love, I, I think about, is love. And I think about the number of times in my own life when love is not my highest priority. So many other things take the place of love. And, and, and loving doesn't mean caving or giving in, but it does mean deeply caring. 
about you and about your will and your plan for our lives and your holiness and your word and for others, for their well-being in every way. So, Lord, over these next two weeks as we consider the greatest of these is love. May our hearts be overwhelmed as we heard about in the song and, and overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit who applies your word to our hearts. And may we love. May we learn to love. And then give us the strength to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks and be seated. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Oh, familiarity with Scripture is such a curse. We can spout these words, we can say them, we know everything about them. But to think about the implications that on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, everything in Scripture is fulfilled by this. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself. And, 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 and in the great scheme of eternity, as we're going to talk about today, love is eternal. One really doesn't mean that much without the other. And some of us have one of these down, but not the other. We do our best to love the Lord as much as we can, but we don't seem to care as much about others. Or we, we focus so much on others that, our, that we've gotten it out of whack and we don't first love the Lord our God, which is the first and great commandment. But then the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if we love God and we love others, and that includes our enemies, difficult as that is, we fulfill all that God requires of us. Isn't that what Jesus said? You'll notice that it's assumed that we love ourselves, and we're commanded to love others in the same way that we love ourselves. It's a golden rule stated another way. Do unto others in the same manner that you wish for them to do to you. The way you want people to treat you, treat them. It gets a little bit complicated sometimes when, you know, they want to be treated differently than we do. Love would go far enough to treat people in a way that they sense that love. Is it possible to, to love to the full extent which we're commanded? I, no, of course not. I mean, we're, we're never going to love like this perfectly until we see Jesus. But love is the highest and noblest virtue for all Christ followers. It's, it's repeatedly stated, this is it. This is the pinnacle of the Christian ethic. This is what you're, you're, the, the gospel is all about. What you're striving, where you need to be is to be loving others. Just listen to these following verses. They're, they're listed on the screen, but I'm going to read them. and I, 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 I just want you to absorb 
what, what the New Testament says about love. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 For you were called to freedom, brothers. I would encourage you to turn, but we, you can't turn this fast. And Just listen, but look, if one of these especially really strikes you and you want to go back and meditate on this, um, write it down and, and, and come back to it. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 9 and 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the, one who loves, uh, who, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13, 8 to 10. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. That verse, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We think about that in an individual sense, but he's saying no, it's peace, it's a body peace. It's, it's peace with one another. Let the peace of God rule in this congregation is what he's saying and be thankful Colossians 3 14 and 15 and that is far far from all that the New Testament has to say about love but even though we're commanded to love at this level and even though we have Jesus living in us and the Holy Spirit living in us and giving us constantly convicting us and and giving us the power and the ability to love most of us would have to say we fall far short in loving our spouses or our parents or our children or our friends or our neighbors, our co-workers, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ at the church. We fall far short of loving each other like we're called to do. Even though we're followers of Christ, we still find ourselves so madly in love with ourselves that we just can't. We just don't have the energy to love others to the level that's expected of us. So what's up with the difference between God's failure and our standard, or His standard, excuse me, God's, not God's failure, I'm sorry, I got that, it's verbal dyslexia. God's standard and our failure to live up to that standard. 
Well, it's, the answer is all in the gospel. And by the way, please be praying in this next service where, again, we, we hope to have some who are here for the first time, is they hear this about the gospel and understand what it is we believe. The just and gracious God of the universe, in response to hopelessly sinful people, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we can't. See, that's, I don't know how much that particular phrase means to you when you think about the gospel, the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life. He had to in order to be eligible to die for us, but in addition to that, it gives us hope for, life, for this life, for us becoming like Jesus as He lives through us, as the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us to live in a way that we naturally are incapable of living. So He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we can, to bear His wrath against sin on the cross, and to show His power over sin in the resurrection. And that's it. Resurrection gives us resurrection power to love so that all who respond to the Holy Spirit's call to repent and believe in Jesus will be reconciled to God forever. Jesus stood in the way of God's wrath that was justly headed for us. He absorbed it, and when we repent of our sins and believe that He died for us, we are saved. That's the gospel. The cycle of the gospel was the title of our series, Ruin, Redemption, Relationship. We're ruined in sin. Jesus redeemed us from destruction. And when God saved us, He brought us into relationship with Himself, calling us His children. And He brought us into relationship with all other Christ followers. The Bible tells us that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we make up, together we make up the body of Christ and that we are all stones in a spiritual and holy building, a temple of God, and we're connected to one another, and we're all tied into the cornerstone, Jesus. And it ought to impact the way that we live with one another. And so that's that, right? I mean, we're in big trouble without Christ, but once Jesus saves us, we're brought into relationship with Him and into perfect relationship and harmony with other Christians, right? Yes and no. We are perfectly united in Christ. He has broken down all the barriers so that slave and free, male and female, Greek and Jew, all are one in Jesus, which is why we're never told to create unity. It's already there in Jesus, but we are told to keep and protect unity at all cost. And we need to be reminded of that over and over because we're constantly struggling with our call to love other Christians. And that's where this cycle comes in, in, into play. We've got the cycle of ruin, redemption, relationship, and salvation. But then it just starts all over and we find ourselves struggling with sin. We find ourselves struggling to get along in life and then we recognize our need for the Savior and we just turn it completely over to Him and He brings us back into that beautiful relationship with Himself. Not that we lose our salvation, but we do lose our perspective. And so consequently, and, and it goes over and over in life, that cycle. So we're back 
we, we, we come to the place where we, we realize that we're to live in the gospel of grace, not only to be saved by grace, but to live by grace. And we come back to the place and the importance of love. Probably wondered if we'd ever get back to 1 Corinthians 13. The immediate context of, of this is that the, these brothers and sisters were comparing themselves with one another. That was a first century problem. I realize it's not applicable in the 21st century where we compare ourselves with one another. In, in fact, most of the issues that the Apostle Paul addressed when he wrote the Corinthians had to do with them comparing themselves with one another and competing with one another. Occasionally there was the, the horrible sexual sin like a 1 Corinthians 5, but you just think about all the things. Some were following this preacher, some were following that one. That was one big problem. That's where he started. But then, then he's talking about the fact that you're taking each other to court. I mean, what's that all about? And now these, there's this spiritual gifts, and some are saying, I don't need, we don't need you here. You're not one of the important ones in the church. And others were saying, I don't belong here. And, and, and all of this comparison was going on in the Lord's Supper. You know, some were saying, well, we've brought this food to the love feast, but clearly God is not blessing you, and God is displeased with you because you have no money, you have no food, and so we're not going to share with you. And all of this back and forth, they were going at each other, and, 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 and that's why Paul was moved by the Holy Spirit to write this beautiful chapter about love which is really quite difficult it's not so beautiful once you get into it and you start thinking about me and how far short I fall chapter 13 is placed in between these two cha two chapters about spiritual gifts 12 and 14 chapters 12 and 14 and the members at Corinth church were playing the my gift is better than your gift card And so at the very end of chapter 12, after he had talked about the importance of the body functioning as a unit, Paul said, I will show you a more excellent way, and then proceeded to speak with profound eloquence about the need for love in the body of Christ. Now before we think about the first three verses of this chapter, we need to think about some of the things that Paul said at the end of chapter 13. Without going into detail about these verses, it's important to note that, that Paul was contrasting the temporary nature of spiritual gifts with the eternal nature of love. Spiritual gifts like prophecy or proclamation of the truth and tongues and understanding Scripture with this word of knowledge, they were going to pass away. Why? Because there's no need. When Jesus comes, there will be no need for the spiritual gifts. At present, we don't see things all that clearly. And, and that's why we have so many different opinions about the way God is working in the world, is it not? I mean, if we all understood God's will for our lives perfectly, and we all function like that body in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll probably read some of that next week. If we all function just like the body, and, 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 and the finger wasn't saying that, knee. Now, I, I, I'm tired of you getting in the way 
when I'm trying to do something. It, there would, if we function like that, we, if we didn't function like, if we understood God's love, we wouldn't function like that. There'd be no comparisons, no quarreling. But Jesus is not here. And we're told to live by faith. We've, we've heard recently, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. As we understand God's Word, we're given faith by the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus and to believe in all of His proclamation for the kingdom of the world, and we function like that. We live by faith and by hope, which is that expectation, that certain expectation that one day everything is going to be perfect and we're going to live with Him forever. And all pain and all sorrow is gone. All misunderstandings, all struggle with personal sin. None of that. And we live in that, that hope. But while we're here, while we wait for Him, we are commanded to truly love one another. So faith, hope, and love, love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now that's poetic, it's beautiful, it's profound. Faith, hope, love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because when Jesus comes, there's no more need for faith. Our hope is realized, but love will continue only it'll be in perfect form. And as one brother told me recently, we'll all be high-fiving one another in heaven. We'll all be high-fiving one another in heaven. But God says, you know, my design is for there, there to be some of that now on this earth. This body is supposed to be a picture of that. So we've got to love one another at this level. No wonder God places so much emphasis on love. We tend to place emphasis on all kinds of other things other than love. Particularly with, among serious-minded Christians, we, we tend to place a lot of emphasis on, on the use of our spiritual gifts. It would be accurate to say that at Corinth and at many churches all around the world, there were and are competing views of what true spirituality is. I am more spiritual than you because I know Scripture better than you, and you fill in the blank. I'm more spiritual than you because... Now, now we're not going to be arrogant and say that, but, we, but we, we do say it with other words and with our, our actions. Well, for the rest of our time today, which is really a conclusion... Let's get to our primary text, which is 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 1 to 3. And, and let's just soak in the truth that love is better than anything else in the Christian life. Anything. And when I say let's soak in this truth, it might not be a warm bubble bath, you know? Because beautiful as this is, it's hard. It's really hard when you... When the Holy Spirit begins to, to, got a word for you. Next week we'll look at verses 4 to 7 and see just exactly what love looks like. It was written for that particular context, but oh boy, does it fit. And we'll think about relationships with those who are closest to us and with regard 
to those whom we would consider to be very much opposed to us. The responsibility to love in a particular way is the same. That doesn't always look the same, but the love that we are to have is to be the same. Verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, <laughs> the gift of tongues was one that was very much in use in, in, in that day, and it was quite a problem at, at the church of Corinth, but, but so were a lot of the other gifts that were being misused. We can't look at 1 Corinthians and say, well, the only time tongues is talked about in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians, and it was a problem. Everything was a problem there because of this lack of love. All the spiritual gifts were being misapplied, misused. That gift of tongues, of course, meant the ability to speak in languages that you didn't know. And, and, and Paul was basically saying, suppose God not only enabled me to speak several languages that I don't know, that I've never studied here uh, in this life, but suppose He allowed me to speak with some sort of an angelic language. Is there an angelic language? Who knows? They, they certainly thought so in the first century. Paul said, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't it be something if I were able to just speak with an angelic or, or the language of angels? Imagine you're a visitor at the United Nations and, and everybody's speaking, you know, and they're translating in the, in the headphones and stuff. And, and, and all of a sudden, there's this brilliant light that appears and there's an angel with like six wings. All of us, and everybody's just terrified and he starts speaking and nobody can understand him. But you can. And people realize that. And they say, come here, Pat, Pat, come here. Tell us what he's saying. Speak into the microphone so that we can translate. And you're able to do that. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't it be something if that happened at church this morning, if an angel appeared? And one of us has the ability to understand. Wouldn't that be something? Not without love, it wouldn't. Isn't that what the Scripture says? If your life is characterized by love for yourself rather than love for God and love for others, just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I always think about the old gong show. You remember the gong show? Anybody ever see that? You know, People would display their talent or lack thereof, and I don't know who would, you know, I never really saw it or heard about it. And Somebody would say, ring the gong, that's enough. In other words, shut up. And I understand people were really offended, you know, like, what? What do you mean? I, how'd I get the gong? I mean, I thought it was pretty good. Don't you imagine that, that sometimes we're down here on earth serving the Lord in our way, using our spiritual gifts, and the Lord is saying, Oh, angel, ring the gong. Somebody stop that. You know, it's just it's time to stop. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Don't, don't you just love to hear someone who proclaims the word well? I mean, it's very clear. He gets it and he's able to communicate it in a way that you get it as well. And it's just, it's like, wow, I've never seen that in that verse. And I just learned so much when I'm hearing this person preach. What if you were in the mountains? You're a, you find yourself at Grandfather Mountain. And then 
you know, all of a sudden, Conlon likes Avery County, North Carolina. Conlon Finnerty. So let's imagine Conlon's up there, and he just, he just is overcome by the Lord. And he says, Mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. Everybody in the group, you know, is going, oh, Conlon, he's lost it. And then all of a sudden, right off Wrightsville Beach. That'd be something, wouldn't it? Unless you don't have love. And then, combining the words of the Apostle Paul and my dad, we ain't nothing. And does not Scripture seem to indicate that we can have that kind of faith and not have love? Isn't that scary? Isn't it scary to you to think that you can have that kind of faith so that things change in this world? God leads you to believe in something. And things change. And then to think that His assessment of us is, you're nothing. You're nothing. Verse 3, I think, is the most sobering verse in all of Scripture for Christ followers. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Just Think about it for a moment. You know, as we've seen recently in Scripture, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What if you had given away everything you had? And suppose, you know, it wouldn't be that big a deal if I did. You know, it, it, it would be quite the deal if Burt Wallace gave away everything that he had, millionaire that he is, and just said, I want to serve people with this. Or if we give up our body to be burned, there's debate about this. Almost certainly he's not talking about martyrdom. I always thought so in the past. But, but there's even debate about the translation here, uh, about whether this is the best translation. But, but, but at the very least, there is great sacrifice being talked about here. And we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and to hear the Lord say, in essence, in so many words, you may as well have hung on to what you had. You know, you did it for the wrong motives, or, you, or even if your motives were pure in that particular area, there was no love in your life for your brother and sister. If I give up, if I give away all that I have and I give my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Without love, we are nothing. So what is it? We're going to talk about that next week, what love is exactly, what it looks like. Is it that emotional, romantic fair that we get in movies? No, it's not. That works, you know, when you're walking on clouds. But when the clouds dissipate, you know, and you, you fall to earth in a relationship, that's not what's going to sustain you because it's just not there anymore. That's not love. Now, please understand, great, wonderful emotions are often associated with love. They are. 
but that's not the, what love is at its core. It's not the substance of love. We're going to talk about that next week. And this is going to seem like a very abrupt end to you, but this is a two-part message. We've seen the importance of love. And this week, let's ask the Lord to just impress upon our hearts how very important it is. Read this chapter over and over again if you want to. Be great, especially verses 4 to 7. Be great for you to just take the, you know, one of those things. Love is patient and kind. Meditate on that one day. And then move on to the next thing. We, we talk about, we'll think about, we'll hear from the Lord next week exactly what love is. Our Father... We know this, as we heard (laughs) before the message. You love us at a high level, to an incredible degree. We don't deserve it. We are blessed by it. Now, may we not despise your love by despising others. May we learn to love as you do. And that only happens when our lives are consumed by the gospel. And we recognize that all that we have that is good in our lives is because of you. And Lord, from the very first, your creation was said to be very good. And when you look at us because you see Jesus... You think of us as very good because you love your son. And was was prayed today I, in the prayer, this, you and, and your son have perfect union. Bring us into that same place and spirit of unity. We love you. Now send us out to love one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.